Well, hey, I wanted to say a huge welcome to everybody, and uh, to everybody, that means those of you who are, are connecting with us to Oak Creek and online, and obviously right here. Now, some of you are probably thinking, uh, who are you? Uh, well, I, I introduce myself. My name is Mark, and I'm the lead pastor here, and so it's great to be with you. Now, others of you are like, where have you been? You know, where have you been for the last couple months? Well, our oversight board uh, gave me what was called a sabbatical. And sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath, which actually means a, a time for rest. And sabbatical is what in, in the church circles, or at least in the church world, and I understand now, actually now corporations are starting to do this as well, but in the church circles, because the burnout rate is so high among pastors, actually it rates as one of the top five professions as far as burnout rate. And I know some of you are like, but you only work one day a week. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it, the burnout rate is so high that, uh, that, that our board said, hey, listen, we want to give you this time, and we want to give you time just to uh, just, just rest and recharge and, uh, and do that. And, and so that's what we did. And uh, so for the last couple of months, we've been away. And a part of that time, uh, just for a couple of weeks, we took some vacation time because that's usually around the time I took vacation. And uh, there, we, we had a really good time. But I want to share with you just one story in particular. Uh, there, we actually went to uh, Indiana and we went to visit some, some friends there that, uh, or this family that we have developed a pretty close relationship with. And while I was there, I stepped foot on a place that I swore I would never step foot on. Now, a little background, uh, I graduated uh, from college from the University of Miami in Florida. And a uh, huge hurricane fan, nobody, thank you, a uh, huge hurricane fan. And uh, uh, as a hurricane fan, uh, we had a, a rivalry that got so bad they stopped playing it for almost 20 years. And that rivalry was with the University of Notre Dame. I mean, it just ran deep. It was bitter. I mean, there was, and I'll say it in church, we hated Notre Dame at Miami. And it's because they, would, they had this phrase, and it was Catholics versus convicts. And uh, we were the convicts. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I can't remember any University of Miami football player that's ever done anything wrong or stupid. I can't remember that. And so, uh, you know, we just deep hate, hatred for them. And I thought, you know, I, I will never step foot on that campus or anything like that. Well, I did. While we were there, we were, we were outside South Bend, so we took a tour of Notre Dame. Here's some pictures of me. Here's me purifying and praying that touchdown Jesus doesn't see any touchdowns for the rest of the year, as far as that's concerned. Now, here's a picture of me with Newt, Newt Rockney right there. Listen to that. I mean, look, look at that face right there, just spreading a little love on him. You know what was really tough when I was there is that, so I'm walking this campus. I got the Miami stuff. No one will talk to me. And uh, I, I'm walking this thing, and then the spirit of vandalism kept wanting to come over me when I was there, you know, but I resisted, I resisted, but it was just a cool tour uh, as, we, as we toured the University of Notre Dame campus. Also, when I was gone, uh, I experienced a miracle. Now, for some of you, you're like, well, I don't believe in miracles and all that stuff. No, 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 no. I experienced a miracle. Now, if, you, if, you know, if, if you've been around here for any period of time, you will know that I, I'm one of those guys that's allergic to tools and fixing things. In fact, so bad that uh, when my parents, a couple years ago, they got us uh, a bunch of tools for Christmas, they actually, and I understand, they weren't kidding, they gave them to Donna. Because if there's something broken, we do one of two things in our house, we call someone or Donna fixes it. And that's kind of how it rolls. Well, as a part of being gone this summer, one of the projects I knew that had to get done 
was our mailbox was just like leaning over into the street. I mean, I was kind of doing this whole thing, Leaning Tower Pizza and all that stuff. And so I'm like, well, I got to fix this thing, but I don't know how to put in a new mailbox. You know, I've never done that before. Well, the good news is, is that my neighbor down the road, his mailbox was also hanging in the middle of the road. And so he said, hey, we'll, we'll do it together. I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll do it together, you know? And so uh, we go out there and we're working on this, which interesting, it took us six hours to do two mailboxes. And we did it, of course, when it was 94 out. But we, we, we got these mailboxes done. And I'm like, man, this looks great, you know. Well, our neighbor across the street, he sees this. And uh, his mailbox is located right next to mine. And now his is exposed because mine's standing the way it should. And he comes up to me and he goes, will you show me how to put in a mailbox? And I'm like, I've never been asked that before. So I go and buy Donna. And I said, I said hey, honey, you're never going to believe this. And I told her, and she goes, does he know? And I go, I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows. And so, uh, and so I, I went out there, and I actually showed him and, and led him through putting up a mailbox. Now, I got pictures of proof here, because some of you were like, no, you didn't. No, no, I did. I did. Here's my mailbox. Did that one first. And then look at this baby right here. That has my leadership written all over it right there. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what a sabbatical will do for you. It's kind of life-changing right there. Now, some of, you, some of you might have the question, well, was there something wrong that you took this? And um, I didn't realize it going in, but yeah, there was something wrong. And uh, I was dealing with some pretty bad burnout and uh, was just at, at a really tough, tough time, pretty, pretty exhausted, empty, and all that stuff. Uh, but how are we doing now? We're doing great. I'm doing great. Don and I and the kids are, are doing great. And uh, we missed you. We missed being here. And uh, we're just excited, honestly. Uh, about what's next. And so thank you to all of you who have prayed for us. We got notes and cars and just some really cool things. Uh, just know that that really made a difference. Well, I hope, even though I haven't been here, I hope you have had a great summer. Hope you've had some time to just rest and relax and be outside. And I hate to use the word had, but, let's, but let the reality is, is that summer's in the rear because fall is here. Now, while this is a disappointing transition for, for many of us, this is actually a really good time for us as a church. This is actually a time where, where people start coming back from vacations. Uh, school starts. Some of, you st some of you had a school start this past week. Uh, some of you will have school starts this week. And as a result, parents, we made it through another one, right? We made it through another one. And, uh, and this is the kind of the time where our schedules begin to settle into a new routine. And September for us as a church has always been one of those, those growth windows for us. And so personally, I've been feeling, and I felt this before I left, okay, so this is not I just come back thing. Personally, I've been feeling that um, this is a, an important chance, a couple weeks for us. I really believe that God is challenging us as we kind of go into this next season. And the challenge really comes down to these two questions. The challenge is, do we, and we is, 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 is us as individuals, and then just kind of us together uh, as a community, do we want to just settle for where we are now? And, and, and where we are now can be in any area of our life, but I'm, I'm hoping this will, will be in your faith journey. And settle. Settle just means to, to just stop, to stay where we are. Status quo is okay for us. Or the bigger question, and the better one is, do we want to experience something more greater or better from God? Well, this is why we're starting this, this series today called Unleash. And I think for most of us, if we were to be honest about the answer to that question, we would say, I want to experience something more for God, from God. Now, I think some of us here, if we're honest, we would say, hey, listen, I don't just want to. I need to because you have a desperate need in your life. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple weeks 
And we're going to talk about some ways to unleash more of God uh, in our lives, and not just in our lives, but in our church and in this great community that we live in. And throughout this series, uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit more of, of my heart uh, in ways that I, have just, I just haven't been able to do uh, for a really long time. In fact, next week, you don't want to miss next week, I'm actually going to, I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do but I've never just felt I've been able to do it. And so next week you want to be here uh, as I do just that. Now, for some of you, you're here and, and maybe you're just kind of stepping back into church or you're not a Christian and uh, you know, you just, you're here and you just pick today and you're going, this is kind of strange. Is this place weird? Now, here's the good news. I, I'm really glad you're here because I think what you're going to experience is we're not weird. We're actually getting real. And this is such a great time for you to be here because you get to see what we're really about. And I'm hoping that you're so inspired and so moved that you will take some steps on your faith journey as well. Now, for some of you, you're new to faith and, and you're new to church and you're like, well, I, I don't really know what this means. I don't think I've ever done something like this before, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. And that's okay. As we always do here, we're going to learn and grow together. Now, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, I want to challenge you to be open to being challenged because we can always grow in our faith journey. We never fully, fully arrive. So I hope that you will just be open to being challenged in ways you haven't been challenged in a while. But no matter where you are in your faith journey, we're going to do some aligning, so to speak, with God. And when we align ourselves properly with God, you will not only feel it, but the people around you will feel it as well. Now today what we're going to do is we are going to talk about one of the ways that we experience more of God. And that is through this, the practice of prayer. Uh, I can remember uh, when I was first uh, just was taught about prayer. And I was, I'd just become a Christian. I was, in, I was in my 20s and I was sitting in a church service like this. Pastor gets up and he said this. I always remember this. He said, if you don't pray for an hour a day, you're not serious about God. And I remember just going like, whoa, hour a day. I don't think I've ever prayed more than two minutes, you know? And so I was like, well, things got to change. And so I, I, I mean, I don't want to let God down. And, you know, I want to be serious about God, whatever that means. And so here's what I did. I went home and I set my alarm clock for an hour, uh, hour earlier than usual, which was 4.30 in the morning. And so I get up the next day, 4.30, alarm goes off. I grab a stopwatch and I go into this, this second bedroom uh, that was in this apartment and uh, I got down on my knees because there was a bed there, got down on my knees, and then I hit the stopwatch, and then I started to pray. And I was like, okay, God, uh, thank you for getting me up because I wasn't sure if I was going to get up. And then I was like, God, thank you for breakfast. And then my mind started wandering off towards breakfast, and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait for those eggs and all that stuff. And so I'm kind of wandering off, and I'm like, oh, no, no, get back, get back, get back. And I'm like, okay, God, uh, thank you for work. And I was like, oh, man, I got a lot to do at work today. And I'm starting to go through, man, I got to get this done. I make this phone call and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, get back, get back, get back. Okay, God, thank you for uh, my family and for the church I, I attend and bless the world. Amen. Look at the stopwatch. Three minutes. Three minutes. I'm like, man, I got 57 minutes to fill here. And so uh, I start to make a new list, you know, hit the stopwatch. I fall asleep. And uh, I get up, and I'm like, uh, 10 minutes, I got to get to work, you know, and so I barely get to work and all that stuff. I'm like, man, didn't make it. Try this for another couple of days. I don't think I ever made it to five minutes. And after a couple of days, I just said, you know what? I can't do this, and I just kind of quit it altogether. Well, it wasn't until a few years later, I was in a small group, and some just very influential people uh, just said, hey, prayer isn't about how long you pray. It's so much more than that. And then so over the next couple of weeks and months, just again to encourage me to pray. 
And uh, as they did that, I started to. And I didn't worry about the time. And I'll be honest with you, it was the first time I actually felt a connection to God through prayer. And for some of you, you're here, you're here, and if I said, hey, when you pray, and you'd say, yeah, when I pray, I just feel this connection to God. But for most of us here, we would say, I really don't feel a connection to God when I pray. And if that's you, that's okay. We hope to change that starting today. Now, when it comes to prayer, there is this question that we've all wondered in some form, some form or another, and uh, maybe you've wondered this question and you've been afraid to kind of admit it out loud. You've been like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want anyone to know this. I don't want anyone to know this. Here's the thing. This is such a great question. I've had this question and continue to have this question at times. And here's the question we wonder. Well, why should I pray? I mean, why pray in the first place? And there's a lot of layers to this question. Because, you know, for some of us, we're like, well, if God knows everything, because I've been told that God knows everything, what's the point? Or for some of us, it's like, do my prayers really make a difference? I mean, come on. Can my prayers actually change or bend God's heart? Now, for others of us, we'd be like, is he really listening when we pray? Because, you know, I've had times where I've prayed and I've prayed, and it just seems like he's ignored me the entire time. Why pray? Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to James chapter 5. And if you don't, they're going to be up on the screens here. And uh, if you don't have one, we want you to have a Bible for free. And so uh, when, when you leave, whether you're in Oak Creek or here, if you, leave, you go out the doors, there's going to be a, a table, ushers with, with some Bibles. And you just go up to them and say, I am so happy summer is over. And even though you'll be lying, they will still give you a Bible for free anyways on your way out. And so the book of James was actually written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, which is, I always think that's kind of cool that Jesus had siblings, you know? And uh, it's written by James, or it's written by the half-brother of Jesus. And the book of James is the short book in the New Testament. And the book of James is known as one of the most practical books in all the Bible. As you go through James, he talks about a concept and he says, okay, here's how concept, here's how. And as we get to the end of James, or as he gets to the end of James, he talks about prayer and just the importance of prayer. And in talking about the importance of prayer, he deals with this question, why pray? Here's James chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And so why pray? James gives us one very, very good reason. He said, because, because we're in trouble. Now, anyone here ever have any troubles in their life? Let's just kind of raise your hand. Oak Creek, raise your hand. Yeah, that's right. If you didn't raise your hand, you are in more trouble than you realize because you are in denial, so to speak. Yeah, I think we've all, we've all have troubles in our life. I mean, it may be some sort of dating trouble, maybe marriage trouble, could be parenting trouble. You know, you could have some financial trouble, health trouble. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of emotional trouble. Maybe you have an addiction trouble, a career trouble, a boss trouble. All of us here have troubles. You know, there's a recent uh, Gallup survey that was done. And in the survey, they found out that 9 out of 10 people pray on a regular basis. And 4 out of 5 pray on a daily basis. And they said the number one reason why people pray is because of trouble. Uh, what's interesting is, is that the word prayer actually comes from the Latin word precarious. It's where we get our English word precarious. We pray in precarious situations. We pray because we're in trouble. And James says, hey, if, if you're having any sort of trouble in your life, to which some of us go, hey, listen, I'm having, I'm having trouble, but I'm not going to bother God. 
Because God has like you know, a lot bigger things to worry about. I mean, he's got, he's got like, you know, poverty to worry about, and he's got natural disasters, and he's got diseases, and, you know, sure, my troubles is important to me, but come on. It's not really that important in the grand scheme of things. But one of the reasons I think James writes this is because he wants us to know that our Heavenly Father wants to know about our troubles. You see, when my kids, when they're in trouble, I want them to come to me, and as a loving parent, I will always respond to them. It may not be in the way they want me to, but I will always respond in a way that I feel is best for them. And so James starts this section out. He goes, hey, uh, show of hands, is anyone in trouble? And then everybody there who's reading this uh, rolls their hands. We would all raise our hands. And James says, good. Why pray? Because you are in trouble. And then he gives us a second reason. He says this. He says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise, which is a form of prayer. To which we go, hey, James, if I'm happy, it's because there's not any trouble in my life. So why would I want to pray? To which for many of us, I mean, that's exactly what we think, right? We think, well, if things are going well, I really don't need to pray. But let me ask you a question. If you're happy right now, you'd say, well, I'm a happy, happy person. I'm happy, I'm smiling, you know, I'm positive and all that stuff. If you're happy, let me ask you this question. Who do you think is ultimately behind it? And it could be uh, whatever is the source or the cause of your happiness right now. It could be a person, it could be a promotion, it could be circumstance, whatever it may be. Who is ultimately behind it? Well, if you read the book of James a few chapters before this, James tells us, that whatever good is in our life, that the source of that good is our Heavenly Father. So why pray? Because this, we're grateful. We're grateful for what God has done and what he is doing. And James says one of the ways we express that gratitude is through songs or singing songs of praise. Now, is James saying, hey, I want you to go into the office tomorrow, and when you walk in the office, I just want you to start belting it out. You know, how great thou art. You know, if you do that, you don't go to church here. Let me just tell you that right now. Now, I, I don't think that's what James means. I don't think he said go in the office, start singing around, all that stuff. I think what James mean is, means is, is that we live with the posture of, God, thank you for, because I know that's from you. And as that begins to take hold in our lives, we may start humming a little bit, and we may even break out in song in the car. <laughs> now, one of the things that I find that, that's just very, very practical about this is that I'm in my 40s now. Now, I know some of you are going, I would have guessed 50s. I'm not grateful for you, all right? Uh, but, but one of the things that, that I'm just, just, just so practical about this is that here's the danger as you start to hit your 30s, especially hit 35, and it's, it, it's this. It becomes easier and easier to become cynical and bitter. And I don't know about you, that's not who I want to be. And I would guess that that's not who you want to be either. And the way we prevent that is through living a life of gratitude. God, thank you for. There was this fascinating book that came out a couple years ago. It was called The Culture of Complaint. And the big idea of the book was is that, that we live in a time where we just feel so entitled to so many things. 
And uh, when, when something happens in our life that, that we don't get what we want or our expectations go unmet, what it begins to happen is we start to feel like the victim. And so the author says, as a result, we start to, we just, we live in this culture of complaint. Hey, thank you, but. Thank you, but. Hey, thank you for my kids. They're good, good most of the time, but. Hey, thank you for this job, but. Thank you for my spouse, but. Thank you for my church, but. See, here's what we need to know about that sort, of, that sort of heart and that sort of attitude. There is no such thing as partial gratitude. You see, partial gratitude really is this. It's ingratitude. And that sort of ingratitude, once that begins to just grab hold of our heart and our soul, as a result, our heart will become harder, it'll become colder, and our heart will become smaller. You know, the reality is, we all have things going on in our lives that we could complain about if we choose to. I mean, we all do. That's why I think we need to learn this, this really important phrase. And maybe this is the one thing you grab from the message. But here's the phrase. It could be worse. It could be worse. And I want you to say this, say, say this with me. Oh, Craig, do the same thing. Ready, say it. It could be worse. That's right. It could be worse. So next time you get a bill in the mail or on email and you do a double take because it is double what you thought it was, you're going to say... Could be worse. Could be worse. Hey, next time you're in a hurry and you get stuck in traffic, instead of laying on the horn or talking to the driver next to you as if they can do anything about it as well, you're going to say, could be worse. It could be worse. Next time you go up the stairs, but then you've got to stop halfway through because you get tired, and then, you know, after a while you forget why you were going up the stairs in the first place, you're going to say, it could be worse. When you go home later today, and you look around your house and you go, man, that needs to be repaired, and that needs to be repaired, and man, my furniture is so old, it is so old, you're going to say, could be worse. Tomorrow morning, when you roll over in bed and you look at the person sleeping next to you, you're going to say, <laughs> gratitude is such a powerful thing in our life because... It changes us. Gratitude gives us the proper perspective. And so James says, hey, why pray? We pray because we're in trouble. We pray because we're grateful. And then a few verses later, he gives us this last reason. And this last reason, I think, comes with the most tension and questions attached to it. Because when we hear what it is, we're like, well, I want and need that. But for most of us, we're going to go, that's just... It's just not the experience in my life. And so as a result, we just give up praying altogether. Here's what James says a few verses later. He says this. He says, the prayer of a righteous person. Now, when we see those two words, righteous person, we go, oh, okay, I'm out because that's not me. Now, here's the good news. That's not any of us, including me. You see, righteous doesn't mean always doing what's right in the New Testament. In the New Testament, righteous means being made right with God. And if you're a Christian, we believe that the only way we are made right, right with God is by the trusting in the rightness of Jesus. And so James says, hey, the prayer of a person who is made right through Jesus, their prayer is powerful and it's effective. So why pray? We pray because of this. Our prayers make a difference. They make a difference. Our prayers really do matter. Now, for some of us, we go, yeah, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I prayed, and I've asked for some big things, and nothing happened for me. 
Now, James anticipates our pushback, and so he gives us this great example. Here's his example. He says this. He said, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Now, when they heard the name Elijah, that was a big deal to them because Elijah was, was one of their prophets, and a prophet was just someone who spoke on behalf of God. Elijah was one of their prophets who was universally loved and admired because of all these amazing things that God did in his life. In fact, there was this one time that Elijah prayed and fire came from heaven. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I have never had fire come from heaven when I prayed, but this, things like this just happened in Elijah's life. And it says, so Elijah prayed earnestly, and that just means not once or twice, I was like, man, nothing happened, and I'm going to give up. It just means he just, boom, 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 he kept going, 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 kept going passionately, that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. And so James tells about this, this other miraculous event in Elijah's life, where there was this time where the nation of Israel was straying from God. And uh, Elijah wanted to bring them back. And so what he did was, is he prayed for a drought to happen and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, you know, for some of you, you know, think about how your lawn would look. It just looks bad in the summer. Three and a half years, no rain. And then once they came back to God, Elijah prayed and it started to rain again. Now, I don't know about you, but my tendency when I read that, I'm going, okay, okay. Elijah was a, a faith giant. He was a spiritual hero. <laughs> that doesn't happen in my life. But let's go back to something that James said. He said, Elijah was a human being even as we are, or just as we are. You know, the truth is, for many of us, we feel like there's certain people when we talk about prayer and stuff, that they have a special connection with God. And we just go like, you know, you know, that person has a special connection, I don't. Now for me, when I, when I became a pastor, I mean, people will go like, they say that to me all the time, they'll say, well, you have a special connection with God that I just don't have. Now, let me just kind of let you in on something. I moved back here from California 11 years ago, okay? And every November for the last 11 years, I pray that it would not snow, and not for three years, I'm just asking for three months, all right? That's all I'm asking for, for three months. And here's the thing, never happened. November will roll around again. And guess what? It probably ain't gonna happen again. And so here's the thing, if you're going, well, Mark, you have a special connection. No, I don't. No, I don't. And what James' point is, is he's like, that miraculous difference-making prayer is available to everyone who follows God, not just an elite few. And so if there's some sort of personal drought in your life, James says, listen, just why not prayer? Because the prayer of a righteous person, it really does make a difference. So why pray? Because we're in trouble? Because we're not in trouble? Because our prayers really do make a difference. Now, here's what's interesting about all that. For most of us, that's not new news. That's not new information. In fact, some of you are going like, you've been gone two months, that's all you got? You came back with that? I mean, that's exactly what you're thinking. Because why? Because for many of us, you know, we, we grew up going to church or we went to a religious school or maybe you grew up in another religion and, uh, or, or you followed wrestling in the 80s and Hulk Hogan would always say, you know, say your prayers and all that stuff. You know, see, you were taught, you were taught that prayers matter, that it's important to pray. And so this is, this is not new news, but let me ask you a question. And this is a question that I've been wrestling with just in my, my own life over the last couple of months. And so let me bring you kind of into my wrestling. But here's the question. Well, okay, we know all that. Well, then why don't we pray more? 
And more is relative to, to wherever you are in this whole thing. So more can be, why don't I go from zero to one? Or why don't I go from one to two? Or why, don't, why isn't prayer the first option? Why don't we pray more? Now, for some of us, we would say, I don't really know how to, kind of like the story I shared, I shared earlier. Some of us would say, I don't have time, or I'm just kind of not the praying type. That, that's just not me. Or some of us would say, I just had a bad experience with prayer. I tried to pray, something was going on, and it, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, and so I, I've just kind of given up. And here's the thing. All those are very valid answers. But here's what I'm beginning to discover. The, real, the answer to this question is much bigger than all of that. And the way I want to answer this question is by giving you another question. Don't you love when people do that? You ask them a question, then they just return a question. I'm going to do that for you. Here's the question. Who do you really believe, really believe, can do a better job of running your life, God or you? Running means leading, directing, resourcing, protecting, caring for, changing circumstances. I mean, who do you really believe? Now, for most of us, because we're in church, we would say, because if you're in church and you don't know the answer, you just say God or Jesus and you got a 95% chance, right? And so we would say, we would say well, 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 God. But come on, let's be honest. Most of us really believe that we can do a better job of running our lives. And I think one of the reasons why we believe this is because, you know what we think? It's like, I just know better than God. That even as adults, we live with what I call a teenager mindset. Now, if you're a teenager here, when I give this example, I'm not picking on teenagers, okay? I'm not picking on you or anything like that because I was a teenager. Anyone who was over 20 here was a teenager. And so we've all done this. And the teenage mindset is this. We get to a place as a teenager where here's what we think to our parents. I know better than you. I know better than you. Hey, parent, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, here's what no teenager does, at least the one that I've met. They never stop and think, hey, mom and dad, you were once a teenager, you have been where I haven't. Now, the common response in, in the teenage years, this is my response as well, the, the common response is this. Well, you didn't deal with the things that I, that, that I dealt with. Now, the truth is, technology has changed the way the world works. But let's be honest, we all deal with the same things as teenagers. And you know what we deal with? We deal with um, peer pressure, being accepted, what am I going to do with my life, and raging hormones. I mean, we all deal with the same thing. Now, if you're, if, if you're a parent of a teenager, you've seen this happen. Your teenager had this mindset of, I just know better than you. And here's what you're thinking. You just learned how to shave, you know? You just got a job for the very first time. But see, this is what happens. And for most of us, this is the kind of how we live our lives when it comes to God. It's like when it comes to who knows best and, you know, who, who knows better and who can produce better results. You know, we think we do. But the reality is, in our story, God is the parent in our story, and he knows what's best. Plus, you know what adds to this? Is that we're all control freaks when you think about it. We love being in control because we think we can produce better results. You know, so to maintain control in our lives, think about the things that we do. We push and we prod and we yell and we manipulate and uh, we spend money that we don't have. We settle for less, you know. We do all these things just to try to maintain control in our life because we think we can produce better results. But I want to give you something to think about. And for many of us, we have never really thought about this. But here's what I want you to think about. Most of what we think we have control over, we have very little control over. Your health, our health. 
you know, stay as physically fit as you want, eat right, we want to do all those things, but you know what? You still might get sick. I want you to think about your kids. We raise them right, we do all the right things, but you know, they're going back to school. We can't be there with them while in school. They can make decisions and they can go down a very dangerous path and we have no control over it. Our finances, we do all the right things financially, but we can't control the economy. We can't control the stock market. I want you to think about the people in our life. You know, whether it be your kids, your spouse, the person you're dating, your ex, your boss, whoever it may be, we have very little or no control. I mean, we think we try to and we do all these things. We have very little control over ultimately what they do. College, if you're going to try to get into college, we don't control the acceptance process. The weather, the weather, of all the things right there, that should just be the tipping point right there. We don't control the weather. Even the weather people don't control the weather, as we can all tell. You see, we have very little control when it comes down to it. So let's go back to our question. Why don't we pray more? Here's why. Because we've convinced ourselves, let's be honest, we don't really need God. Because we know better than God, and because we think we have control over so many things. But here's the good news. When we come to the reality that our Heavenly Father loves us more than we can imagine, and He knows and wants what's best for us, and when we come to the reality of, there is so much in my life I really can't change, and the more I try to change it, the more I'm going to stress, and the more I'm going to worry. When we get to that point, we realize that we really don't have that much control. Here's what we'll realize. I need God. I'm not big enough. And the reality is, you're not big enough either, and that's okay. And when we realize that, here's what we're going to discover. My now need for God will motivate my need, my desire, my urge to pray. You know, this is why we're doing something I think is going to be really significant for our church, is we're going to have this prayer emphasis. And we're calling it this. 21 days of prayer. We're going to do it for three weeks. Isn't that a creative name? Thank you. Once again, you're like two, two months. That's all you got. That's right. I couldn't think of anything else. 21 days of prayer. And so what we're going to do is for three weeks, we're going to have a very intentional, focused time of prayer. And uh, we're going to, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for, for ourselves. We're going to pray for our church. And we're going to pray for this great community that we live in. And uh, what's going to be great about this is that it doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey. This is set up that, that anybody and everybody young or old, can do this. And the way that we do it is you text this number and you text prayer to that, uh, to that number. And what's going what's gonna to be cool about it is you don't have to, every day, there's going to be an individual, there's going to be a particular thing for that day that'll pop up on your mobile device. So you don't have to do anything except text, in that, text prayer into that number. And every day for the next 21 days, it's going to pop up on your phone. And we're all going to do this together. Now, for some of us, we're like, okay, I'm not texting in that number because they're going to be spamming me and they're going to try to get my number. Here's, here, you just need to hear this from me. After the three weeks is done, we're clearing out all the numbers. We don't want to be spamming you. We want you to take part in this whole thing. And so I want to encourage you, 21 days of prayer and let's just see what happens. There's a great story. There's a great picture of... of that, that is told to us by John. And John is one of the disciples of Jesus, and not just one, one of the closest to Jesus. And John is given a, a picture of heaven. I'm not sure how he actually gets it, but he gets this, this insight into heaven. And he writes it down in the New Testament. He's describing it. And as he's describing, he says this, there's this big throne, and I could see all, all these people singing to God. 
He goes, and all these people are singing to God. All of a sudden, all heaven goes quiet. And it goes quiet. And, it's, and it goes quiet so God can begin to hear the prayers of his people. And so I want you to just think about this for a minute. You got all, just this amazing picture. Everybody's singing. All of a sudden, God goes, and he just sits and he listens to us pray. What does that mean? It means he hears, means he cares, and it means he acts accordingly. So why pray? You still may have questions, and I don't know how this works. I don't know how to do it. I just, just for the next 21 days, I just want you to do this. And I can't say what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this, is that God will do something in your family. God will do something in your relationships. God will do something here in our church. God will do something in the community around us. And I know this. I don't know what, but I do know. He'll do something in you just by praying. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start doing this together. And so here's what I ask everybody to do. Oak Creek, I want you to do the same thing. I want everybody to stand. So everybody stand. So why pray? Because we're in trouble. Why pray? Has something good happened in your life? Whether it be small or whether it be really, really big. Has something good happened? We're going to pray. And you know what? For some of you, you've, you've got some things going on. And let's be honest, you've tried to control. You can't control these things. So why pray? Because honestly, you need God to do something. So let's pray. Father, um, all of us here have troubles in our life. And um, for whatever those troubles are right now, we just begin to, just in our own hearts, we just begin to lift those up to you. And uh, we may not even know how to pray for those things, but God, you get that. You understand that. And the, and the great thing is, is that you want to tell us. You want us to tell you about our troubles. And God, some of us here, we just had some really cool things happen. And, uh, you know, we've just stopped. We forgot to just stop and say, oh, yeah, ultimately that came from you. And God, uh, can we just say thank you for that? I'm really grateful. And we're really grateful. And God, for some of us here, we're just like, I, I don't know what to do. This situation is so desperate and it's so painful. I just don't see an end in sight, God. So we're asking for you to move powerfully in those situations. You know, one of the things that, that James said in the passage we read is he said, he said, one of the forms of prayer is to sing songs of praise. And uh, as we just kind of uh, move forward as a church, we're going to do that today. And so here's what's going to happen. Uh, the band's going to come up, and uh, this is going to happen at Oak Creek as well, is that uh, they're going to lead us in song. And what I want you to do is most of the time, you know, we'll come in, we'll hear a song, we'll be like, okay, I'm going to sing the song, and then we'll kind of move on. But what I want you to do is, as you read the words, I want you to just kind of form them as a prayer. And so it's more than singing, it's praying. And uh, for some of you, you may read some of the words and go, I'm not sure I, I believe that yet. That's okay. That's okay. Your prayer may be, God, I'm not there yet, but maybe... Would you help me get there? And that's okay as well. So let us continue praying through singing.